Hello, and thank you for listening to the MicroBinFi podcast. Here, we will be discussing topics in microbial bioinformatics. We hope that we can give you some insights, tips, and tricks along the way. There is so much information we all know from working in the field, but nobody writes it down. There is no manual, and it's assumed you'll pick it up. We hope to fill in a few of these gaps. My co-hosts are Dr. Nabil Ali Khan and Dr. Andrew Page. I am Dr. Lee Katz. Both Andrew and Nabil work in the Quadrum Institute in Norwich, UK, where they work on microbes in food and the impact on human health. I work at Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and am an adjunct member at the University of Georgia in the US. Today, we are looking at the crazy world of NFTs, non-fungible tokens. For some reason, I took a deep dive by creating my own NFT. What do you think? I'm totally in the dark with this one, Lee. You'll have to start right at the beginning and explain what a non-fungible token actually is. It sounds like you need a topical cream for it. Just apply the cream and then you'll get better. I know the idea is based off, off blockchain and all of this crypto, whatever, who's it? So maybe we should start there and, and you can tell us what, what is the blockchain and explain it like I'm a kid or someone who doesn't know. The blockchain is a public ledger on the internet. And like with Bitcoin, it keeps track of who owns how much of each Bitcoin. And so anybody can do like a public query at any time and figure out who owns how much money, basically. Right. It's like a public ledger of all of the transactions, at least in the, in, at least in the Bitcoin example, it's a ledger of all of the transactions involving the currency. But then it's constructed in a way and people can keep making new transactions and those are added in a way that it doesn't like pollute the ledger somehow. Yeah, I guess. So like there's security built into it also. And you can't just like tell a computer to update the ledger in your favor and give yourself 100 bitcoins. You have to have the right hash and the, the right key to the hash in order to... <laughs> in order to make any update. And then a majority of the computers that control that ledger have to agree to that update. If you even try to change something in the past, it won't work because you'd make like a new chain off of that and everybody would be disagreeing on which way the chain went and the majority would just be against you. So there's like a lot of security built in and a lot of it is through democratization. Well done. Okay. Anyway, I, I think that the point of the non-fungible token is that you can arbitrarily store any text on the blockchain and no one can change it and it's there for everyone to see. Isn't that right? That you own yeah. it. Yeah. So like with Bitcoin, you have like these quantities on the public ledger and they're all interchangeable. The non-fungible part is like you have your unique thing. Non-fungible means it's a unique non this thing is not equivalent to this other thing. Like the Mona Lisa is not the same thing as another painting. And so if you have a non-fungible token, an NFT, then you own that unique thing. And the, and the public ledger supports that you own it. And, and what that means in the real world, I don't think that's defined by any laws or anything like that. I can say I own it and the ledger supports it, but if somebody copies my picture on the NFT blockchain, like it's not like any kind of court in the in the world is going to support my claim that somebody wronged me. 
So does that mean we can add a genome and then we can say we own that genome or genus? I think so. <laughs> I think you can put it onto the blockchain and say you own it. But again, the court systems of the world like would never support that probably. Maybe think about academia, you know? What happens if instead of, you know, you have a new organism, a new species, instead of uploading it or sending it to a reference lab and a reference collection, could we maybe put it into these non-NFTs, because I can't say non-fungible, uh, could you put it as an NFT, you know, the genome and say, listen, we found this first, here we go, this is like the type strain for the species and there you go, we can do away with the NCTC and the ATCC and all of those. I think that's an incredible idea. So I have like a few thoughts on that. Like number one is you need like a network of computers to actually support this. And so sometimes a database or usually a database is actually better than, than a blockchain and maintaining something as big as NCBI can only be done by a few institutions in the world right now. <laughs> So like, I can't imagine, you know, thousands or millions of computers out there maintaining this huge database through a blockchain, through a public ledger. If it were possible, then I think it would be kind of interesting and awesome. Like no, no one person, no one entity would control a genome that was submitted. It was, it would just be submitted. But then you were saying like, this could be like the type strain. Who's going to call it the type strain? I would not support a majority of internet users calling something the type strain. I suppose uh, we could do away with accession numbers, maybe going back to a previous point, you know, if all the genomes that we make, we get accession numbers and, and they just have to be tokens, we would have a decentralized accession number generating system effectively. Yeah, that would be so awesome. And we wouldn't have to go through a bunch of who's probably to submit things. You'd have your own blockchain submitter at home or something. And it's scalable as well, because there's so many transactions on Ethereum and Bitcoin that we know works, you know, at massive scale. So think about it, you know, 100,000 uh, bacteria, throw them in, get new accessions, token accessions for them, put them in a paper. They're never going to change. We, we already own them. No one else can take them from us. You know, it, it actually solves many, many problems. And it's all public as well. So it's not like we're trying to hide anything. Yeah you'd know like everything, like when it was submitted, you'd know who has it, all that stuff, and it would never be changed. So what do you think about retractions and changing stuff? It would never happen because science does everything perfectly and there's never any mistakes. <laughs> well, I mean, if it's just a thing of minting accession coins, then you just trash that accession coin and that accession code. Okay, so there's, there, there's a mechanism on the blockchain to trash one? No, you just, you'd have to just, you'd have to just append an amendment that says the thing is now junked. So, yeah, but it would, but the record of it would always be there. Okay, so now we've come up with a new way of a, a decentralized accession number uh, system. We can now destroy NCBI, EBI, <laughs> and uh, DD, DDBJ. Uh, we can get rid of all of them because now we have a system where we can get our accession numbers for our papers. Don't need to worry about it. But how feasible is it? Does it cost any money or is it this all kind of free? Yeah, so you democratize the network. You also democratize the cost. So instead of our respective governments paying for these things, 
you're looking at spending tens of dollars every single time you do one increment on the chain. It takes money and it takes actual electrical energy to do this stuff. I, I just want to say again, I'm horrified at the prospect of of destroying NCVI or DDBJ or ENA. <laughs> well, not destroying, but we could liberate them from having <laughs> to maintain this kind of uh, database and archive perpetually into the future. And we could allow them to focus on, you know, other high value stuff like uh, science and whatnot and research. Yeah, so I'm just hinting at what's to come. But I mean, for example, submitting um, one NFT to the network cost me more than $30 to do. So I think it's Yeah, why, of, why don't you take us to your example, Lee? Because so you've I, done this. You should, you should take us through the process if, if we're going to try this out. Right. I got really interested in this after reading on this. So I had, I had a few different examples uh, to read up on. There was a New York Times article that we'll put into the notes. And it was about an article on making an NFT. So the New York Times author made the NFT. And the NFT was a picture of the article itself. <laughs> so this guy put it out there and described how people bid on it and and I think it got up to like it, was, it approached a million dollars to buy this picture of an article which again is only owned the only evidence of you owning it is on the blockchain not by like the American justice system or anything did you see today that Tim Berners-Lee the inventor of the internet or the world Wide web sold the original web source code for something like 5.4 million dollars yeah, I had ridiculous. A, that came across. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. As an NFT, of course. And can even do that with it being open source. Why not? <laughs> well, I mean, I think the the thing is, it's odd what the what the NFT actually represents because it's not. It it's trying to convert a digital entity. So, say, I draw a picture in MS Paint and I make an NFT of it, and then I transfer ownership to Yuli, like you basically have control of that thing and access to that thing. But the intellectual property of the image is not transferred to you. It's like a photocopy or a copy of this document that I've just given to you. So if it's like, like the thing of the article, it's like a picture of the article. It's not the information in the article itself, nor is the source code of something. You've just taken a snapshot and put it up there. So it's like buying a print of an artwork. And, okay. and I get it. It's, it's this idea of making something which is like introducing an idea of scarcity for digital things, which doesn't. I mean, if I want to give you a program, I just make a copy and give it to you. There's no... Like what's the like if the price of something is defined by the scarcity of it, then there is no price for anything on the internet because you can just make an infinite amount of it. So do you so, feel like this is a is is this a fad, Nabil? I think in its current implementation, it's a fad because it's not actually understanding the thing, what it means to own something. Because the value of owning a thing, like if I get a print of an artwork, like, yeah, what? That doesn't matter. The, the thing that matters is the idea, is, is ownership of the concept, the property itself, you know? So I would rather own, as, as Andrew pointed out, you'd rather be in control and modify the source code of what Tim Berners-Lee put up rather than just this instantiated copy of it that is now like immutable. It implies that the creator never makes another copy of the thing again. 
Right. There was that artwork that, forgetting the guy's name now, Beeble put out there. Beeble or Booble? I don't know. And he put an artwork out there and he sold it for millions of dollars. It was like $59 million. And wasn't that it really Banksy? sparked this whole thing. It was what? Was it Banksy? No. Oh, Banksy also did one. Yeah, you're right. But that wasn't. Oh, okay, but no, it wasn't that much money. I think it's an interesting idea for a digital artwork or for some sort of certification or a coupon, some sort of like, it's like a bearer bond. It's a thing that you say, it's a promissory note or something like, okay, if you come to me on such and such a date, I'll give you money. And then you make that an NFT. And then we start like trading that, that thing around. Then it's something like that. But that already exists. That's a thing that exists anyway. These kind of certified objects that have some sort of value. Digital art is definitely a thing that where this can go. But then in the genomic sense, we want to share our genomes, but at least we make the genomic data. So, you know, I sequence a salmonella genome and then I have the copy and I make an NFT. And so I have only one. I can't make another copy, right? Okay, right. Yeah. So then I have to transfer. Then I guess if Andrew wants to work on it, he has to buy that genome off me. So then I <laughs> give it to him. Then I no longer have it. And then he can sell it to you and so on and so forth. Maybe, Maybe uh, we find a super salmonella, right? Which like makes you thin, you know, like the, the secret sauce for, for obesity. And you take the salmonella and you get really thin. Actually, that, that's a terrible example because some salmonella do make you very poorly and makes, makes you very thin. But imagine you found a bacterium which didn't try and kill you, but, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't cholera. <laughs> It could be useful for like a sequencing provider that does the analysis and then makes an NFT so it only goes to one group. I, I would say, okay, go come back to the super bug, right? Uh, the super yeah. bacteria. You find a super bacteria, you want to stake your claim and say, listen, I found this. It was, say, I don't know, it was in my gut. I've sequenced it. I know that this makes me skinny. You can buy the rights to this or you can sell the rights to a company through maybe a token and let them then produce this bacteria. It could be any synthetic DNA sequence that does a thing. It could be the sequence for the COVID vaccine, for instance, which I think yeah. someone just very quickly reverse engineered once they put that out. <laughs> it, maybe, yeah. in, maybe in your contract to whoever you can, you can actually have a contract, like only the person who has the NFT is allowed to produce this vaccine or only the person with this NFT is allowed to use the super bug to make yourself thin. Yeah, and as long as people respect that, then that's great. We're going down a rabbit hole here, okay? So how on earth did you go and make an NFT, Lee? Well, I get ideas sometimes and I just go and do them. <laughs> and I was thinking, what's something that is unownable? You cannot own this thing. And I'll make an NFT out of that thing so I can own it. And I remembered this myriad genetics Supreme Court decision in the U.S. Where you guys remember BRCA1 and BRCA2 genes? Yeah. They, they are strong indicators for breast cancer. And this company had in the genes, myriad genetics. And it went all the way to our highest court. And they struck it down. So, so this was the moment, this was the moment when they said you cannot own a gene. Brilliant. And I, 
I found that 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 Supreme Court decision in the in the PDF that they had for it and it was interesting and they had re you know they had legal reasons for it. I mean we can we can feel that we should not own jeans. <laughs> that sounds like common sense, but they actually wrote it out. And so I thought, okay, I'll I'll make an NFT of the picture of BRCA1. So I read up on it. I found an article on coindesk.com and I hope that link stays active. I'll just put that in the notes also. Suggested a few different ways to do it and a few different sites that can get onto the NFT blockchain. And I went to rareable.com and um, made a, an account and I put money in my Coinbase wallet. And I didn't know how much it was going to cost exactly. So I, I transferred above and beyond that amount of money. In the end, it, it cost uh, about $30 plus $8 in quote unquote gas. You need gas to move things on Ethereum, on the Ethereum blockchain, even if you're doing NFT. So a transfer actually costs money to the maintainers of Ethereum. Yeah, it makes you want to have an Ethereum computer for the blockchain. And I just had a field day with it. One of my days off, I just, I went back and forth on how to make this picture. And I ended up, and I'll put this picture in the notes also. So what is it picture of? I mean, is it a nucleotide sequence or something or... Yeah, I did a few different depictions. I went to my favorite gene browser, Apollo, and made a picture of the genes and the exons of BRCA1. So Apollo is pretty old school. And I did another old school thing that the protein data bank, which is, which is still in use and is still awesome. It's just that people are focused a lot more on nucleotides right now. But the protein data, data bank, I made images of BRCA1 in the cartoon and ribbon styles. And then I just... I just searched for uh, DNA double helix for fun also. <laughs> and I, put, I made that the background of the image. So that's the bioinformatics that I put into this. I also took some quotes from the Supreme Court decision and pasted them in there and, and just, you know, just put it all together in one picture. So now you own uh, BRCA1 and you're super popular. I own the picture of BRCA1 and sure, why not? I'm popular. <laughs> <laughs> I have friends. I have some friends. So I think this is funny. I put it out there and I think it would have been funny either way if somebody bought it or didn't buy it. And I basically got nobody to buy it. Nobody cared. And I think that's all right because I don't want to get in trouble at my job for making money on the side. Particularly not in a very evil way either. Yeah, not an evil way. <laughs> so I did this, let's see, this was May 2nd, I believe. Or it, was, or it was a day or two before that. And we are recording this on July 1st. So I am actually kind of happy that I have skirted that, that nobody is buying that. And it's been that long and, and I am not super popular. That is, I'm actually relieved. So what you're saying is that uh, if maybe I go in after this podcast and uh, buy it, uh, you'll get into a bit of trouble. I'll make sure you make a profit out of it as well. You could pay a certain amount and get me in trouble, actually. <laughs> Don't do that. $10, $100, you have to declare what, what is the uh, limit for government employees? It's a rule of thumb. And several years ago, I, I'm remembering I'm not allowed to make more than $10 in a gift from somebody. $11 it is, then. <laughs> especially, I'm, I'm especially not allowed to accept from a foreign actor. Oh, yeah. And we're, we're paid by the, the British government as well. Is, does that make it even worse? Foreign government? Yes. <laughs> Don't get me in trouble. <laughs> I guess if I make money, I'll have to find some creative way to get rid of it. So overall, I minted the NFT. It cost me about, I wrote down in my notes back then, it cost me about $38.
in Ethereum costs. And so it's just, it's out there. And I'm okay with that sunken cost. I think it's just, it was just fun to make that un, unownable thing that I own now. The things you do when you're in lockdown and you've nowhere else to go uh, or to spend your money, you know, all the cinemas are closed and the pubs are closed and you've kids, you know, what else do you do? Oh my God. I don't know about you, but we, we drive ourselves crazy at home with the kids, right? For sure. The things you do in lockdown. Have I, have I come across, by the way, something that, that we have difference in our, in our, in our English? Do you always call them the cinema? Yeah. Okay. Cinema. We, yeah. we say we go to the movie theater. All right. Movie theater, yeah. I don't know. Lee, do you say film or movie? I watched a movie. All right, we'd say film. Would you say it's a great film? Or would you say yeah, it's a great start, movie? If you start getting into like the artistic whatever and you're criticizing a film, I, I would say that you, you might start going into the word film. Okay, so it's like a, you know, it's a Coen Brothers film and it's an Adam Sandler movie. Is that what we're saying? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I think that we would say that. Film sounds like a really, it sounds like a more artistic kind of word, a high, higher level, high culture word. Yeah. The fun part is, is basically none of these are on film anymore. I know. <laughs> so that doesn't make sense. I, I just realized the fun anachronism is the, is the ha phone handset on your mobile phone. You know, the icon for phone is the handset, which you, I, I think I have one. No one's ever called my house though, ever. But let's Actually, dive back to the to the genomics angle of I suppose we're talking in general of we're talking NFTs, but we're also talking crypto whatever in general. I mean, where what is any of this useful for genomics? Other than we said minting accession codes, which is a good which is a good use. I don't know about I from what I've always seen, all of these crypto whatevers always have very small payloads. I don't think it's it's scalable to put in large amounts of data in, in one entry. So I guess you'd have to store the file somewhere else, but you could put the accession code and the MD5 hash or something. Yeah, so you you would suggest still having a database behind it somewhere? Yeah, I just think practically you you don't want to have the gas or whatever, the pro file processing of trying to build all of that nucleotide load into the into the blockchain like can you imagine if you had to download that whole ledger for anyone joining the network it'd be insane it, it wouldn't work i don't think definitely not on ethereum i think that there are like side chains that people have made so like they have i'm not going to remember what they are but you can make like a whole new crypto chain and call it something else that's not ethereum but it's like the backbone is ethereum you like you link back to it Oh, yeah, that might be one way to do it. But then it's not readily accessible to everybody. I don't know. I'm just thinking that the thing of minting the accession codes, though, is, is definitely like doable. So really what we're saying here is we need a special uh, token or a special coin just for genomics that solves all of these problems. But then the real question is, what do we call it? Gnome coin, bio box. I think the scope for the Ethereum gas model where you have these, I guess they call the smart contracts. So you give a piece of work to someone and then they do it and, and they take money from you, right? I mean, that's what that's what your gas, that's what your money was paying for was it was paying for some computer somewhere to take your submission and do the processing to add it to the chain, right? That's right. Yeah, so we could have a thing of take some reads and make the consensus sequence and send it back to you. And 
that could cost some bio bucks, then that organization could use bio bucks to do something else. Actually, you could solve a really good problem. You know, the way with JizAid, the whole reason it exists is because you had rich countries and companies stealing genomic information from poor countries. Not not to cause any controversy or anything, but um, allegedly, allegedly, you know, and so these poor countries would then, you know, give material, and then rich countries would use it to make vaccines that the poor countries couldn't actually, you know, buy. But anyway, what what if uh, instead of JizAid, you had tokens for all of this genomic information, and so when people are supplying it, they know that there is like a contract in terms of a token saying that they own this, they put that there, and that's their information. So if any commercial company comes along and uses the information, you know, it's all public and whatever, so they can see it. But if any commercial company comes along and tries to use it, then they it would be very abundantly clear where they've gotten it from and who owned that. And, you know, people have staked their claim. So maybe this is the solution to Chizade. I like it. They do do that sort of certification for a lot of products to make sure that they're done through fair trade and they're given these certificates. So that could be definitely a use that... In buying this or buying this genome, it has not been no uh, no bioinformaticians were harmed in the creation of this as genome assembly. Okay, so now we've got our own uh, currency. We're all going to be millionaires, and <laughs> we have solved the world's problems. I mean, yeah. Now we just just make your own, just buy an island somewhere. <laughs> Can I come to your island? I love it. I would. I have no idea how to start my own coin, but I think it would be fun. We, we need physical coins as well. You know the way you've like the Bitcoin logo instead of the B, you could have like a double helix uh, genome. Anything is better than that Dogecoin. So if, if they made that, that up, it can't be that difficult. I mean, the real magic is getting Elon Musk to tweet your bio buck and then tweet about it and then you're, you're golden. No, then it goes down if he tweets about it. No, it went down because they said Tesla wasn't going to take transactions in, in Bitcoin anymore. It, it went down as soon as he was on Saturday Night Live. I'm definitely down if somebody wants to do this. I just have no idea how to make a new coin, but I think it could be fun. Well, maybe our listeners can help us out there, you know, and if uh, there is people out there who want to make bio books or genome coins or gnome coins even, sure, why not? Maybe it might be a side project for someone who's bored yeah. during lockdown. I think it could be useful every time you help a student. Someone asks a bioinformatics question, they have to pay us a bio buck. It's not real money, but it could be a way of measuring research output, like how much are you in the community? You get bio bucks for helping people out, just as a, as a score, scoring mechanism. Oh, for measuring impact, like on a research fish. Yeah, you have. You, okay, you can do that next time. We'll just mint you a million bio bucks and you just write it there. And they'll be like, I don't know what that means, but it's a big number. So it has to be good. And every time you read an article, it goes from your account. Like you're automatically paying for the things you read. That could be interesting. Awesome. Every time you review, every time you review a paper too. I mean, that could be fun every time you review a paper, because I don't think getting paid for reviews is a good thing, but getting some recognition would be good. Unless that paper is making some controversial claims and then reviewers get in hot water. Like there's an article there the other day um, in MDPI vaccines and they're claiming that for every three lives saved through vaccination, two are inflicted, two deaths are inflicted by vaccination, which is, you know, clearly bonkers. 
but the reviewer is clearly and editor, you know, drop the ball there. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that gets attracted, hopefully. Yeah, and the the thing that would really corrupt BioBucks or Genome Coin. Thank you so much for listening to us at home. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or the platform of your choice. Follow us on Twitter at MicroBinfi. And if you don't like this podcast, please don't do anything. This podcast was recorded by the Microbial Bioinformatics Group. The opinions expressed here are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of CDC or the Quadrum Institute.